the last few weeks, people have been coming up to me and saying, are we, having, are we selling Christmas trees for Christmas this year? And I go, how am I supposed to know? I'm the pastor. There can be so many things going on that it's just hard to remember each and every detail. I don't know if that's true with you. You can become really scattered. And that's the name of the homily today, scattered, question mark. Are you scattered? Or it was a couple weeks ago at our Curcio, we had an altrea here, and Deacon Lane was going to go proclaim the gospel. It was time for that in the Mass. And so I say the prayer of blessing, but the prayer of blessing I gave him was absolution. I absolve you in the name of the Father. And this, uh, oh, wait, this is the wrong prayer for this time. So many things going on and uh, so many things trying to take care of. It's a really, really crazy life, right? The amount of information that comes to us through the internet, on our phone, that little rectangle thing, and just the pace of life, the busyness, the noise of the life, the needs, the infinite needs that are out before us. So we can become really scattered, not just in our thinking, but in our soul. Our soul can become split, scattered, splintered, disintegrated. And Ezekiel, the prophet, talks about that in the first reading today, about the, the scattering of God's children. And three ways he describes it are the lost, the strayed, the injured, and the sick. So the lost. A week ago, Sunday night, I was in Orange County doing some ministry, and I had a great experience. Now, ministry, let's first talk about that. Did you know that you're baptized into ministry? <laughs> you're not baptized into volunteerism. You're baptized into the ministry of Christ and what he asked you to do in his ministrations to bring who he is to this world. So that's from day one. I didn't realize that until about day 20, or age 20, 20 years later. Oh, I'm involved in ministry. I need to be bringing this gathering of the Lord to people in his life for all people. So that took about 20 years. Now, what is ministry? Ministry is duty-bound to work under the authority of Christ as his loyal servant, building up the body of Christ. That's you, that's me, that's us, and that's on. It's never, there's never a moment of non-ministry as a baptized, each and every moment. And this is the point that you and I cry out, Lord, have mercy, because we need his wisdom and we need his strength to do that, because we can't go on vacation from our vocation. But we are called to gather into the church, ecclesia, to gather into the, the, the body of Christ, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, making us one in that. So last Sunday night, I had this interesting conversation with this young Jewish man. And he approached me, and we spent a good 45 minutes together that night, and I really appreciated that. And he asked me, well, how do you know Jesus is who he says he is? How do you know that he's Savior and Messiah? And he readily admitted to me his life was unfulfilled. He was seeking, like we're all seeking religious truth. We're created for that. He was trying to understand what uh, the revelation uh, of God is in this world, and is Jesus that one who's revealing that to us? We talked about fulfillment. That was a big word that came up. The fulfillment of the Old Testament. Not in a futile animal but that we needed the incarnation 
to have an infinite answer for our infinite problem of mortality. We talked about this. And then he talked about, like, what he felt Judaism was good in many aspects, but it was just a lot of ideas for him that lacked. And we know, and we teach, and we believe in our faith that it's, our faith is not a philosophy, it's not an idea, it's not the reading and the studying and the writing on the Torah. All those, those things are good. But it's a relationship, a relationship where God shares us with us his being, his heart, his essence, the depth of who he is as a person, and we share that back in exchange, our lives with him. And we become like the other. So spouses, close friends, in a lot of ways you become like the other. You are seen and drawn to the good in that other, and that good becomes a part of you. Also, spouses, or even my relationship with you, and your relationship with me. Spouses and, and in our relationship, how often are we in relationship? Always. Relationship covenant is always. It's not for one hour a week out of 168 hours of the week. It's not I go do my church and I separate it. No, it's all this divine human integration. It's always happening. And very much in part and parcel of that is that ministry is always happening, that we're called to that. So we can be lost, and we can be saying, what's this all about? Where is my fulfillment? And we know that it's not in an idea, a philosophy, or even a study of part of the Bible. It's in this relationship that Jesus always offers us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, the second word that Isaiah or uh, Ezekiel uses is strayed. Let me ask a question. Whose church do you belong to? Further question. Do you belong to the church or does the church belong to you? And we would say resoundingly, I belong to the church. I don't tell the church what truth is. I don't tell the church what reality is. That's the gift of God for me coming down through the ages, established by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. What teachings are you down with, in line with, in the church? And what are you out of line with right now? You know what I'd say? If you're out of line with something, dig. Dig, dig, dig. Go deeper. Understand why we teach what we teach. And it's all there for the taking. And it's all for our good, for good, forever. This is the good news, that we have truth, and we don't invent it. It's there for us to receive and to be changed on. Or can we just pick and choose? Can I just pick and choose? We believe that the church is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is in the, the church in terms of our faith and morals. It's the same thing, one and the same. So what is the antidote for all the scattering in our world? It's communion. It's communion with the body of Christ. It's communion with the Eucharist, but it's communion with the truth and all that the church gives us. So I keep coming back to this, this gathering, but it's the heart and the center of our church. 
St. Robert Bellarmine one day was preaching on the body and blood of Christ, soul and divinity. An atheist was there, came up afterwards and says, I don't believe that. I don't believe that that's Jesus. And St. Robert Bellarmine said, oh, okay, whimsically, let me think about this. You don't think it's the body and blood of Christ. And Jesus Christ says, this is my body, this is my blood, take and eat, take and drink. Who do you think I should believe? And this is something that we, even in communion, we want to dig on. And we say, this is a commandment of Jesus. It's not a thought. It's not a, a you know, well, good suggestion that we should do. He says, take and eat and take and drink. It's a commandment. Is it real or not? Is this Jesus or not? That makes all the difference. And as I have told you before, if it's not real, then forget the church. I'm done. I'm done being a priest. That's how radical that teaching is. That's how important it is to come to that and to say, oh, I'm not in line with that. That's not really Jesus. That's some man-made thing, and it's just a symbol, and it's, uh, you know. And we're called to, to, to dig and to open our hearts to that and become humble in our prayer, to think that our thoughts would supersede what Jesus has revealed to us in his flesh at his last supper, how he's inviting us into that. You've got two hands. We've got two hands. Here's my recommendation for the rest of your life. Have the Bible in one hand and have the catechism in the other hand. Catechism is a summary of the Bible and the church. Go after it. There is so much depth. There is so much power. There is so much truth that you will be inundated by the light. And you will come to life like you've never come before when you learn and you go after it. Did God create you and me to be mediocre? I don't think so. He came, he came that we might have life and have it to the full and be, have this fullness of knowledge and truth and good and beauty emanating from us. So Bible in one hand, catechism in the other hand. In the new ark, this is the new ark bringing us to heaven, the church, so that we can have the happiness of being gathered in an infinite good of who Jesus is. The big question is a question of trust. Do I trust this? Do I trust Jesus says what he says is true and that will fulfill me and lead me to perfect happiness? If I follow his law to the letter, will that happen for me? And can he give me the power to do that? Those are radical demands. Well, think about it. How radical is the power of the cross of Jesus Christ? Do we really believe that Jesus, by the power of the cross, can set us free from addiction, sin, lust? That because he has conquered death, that we can be pure of heart? And not just modifying behavior like, I'm going to be good sometimes, but to give us a new heart that would always choose the good. What's that? That's a saint, right? That God would give us a new heart, a saintly heart. Or do we empty the cross of Jesus Christ of its power? Are we thinking the power is only available only for certain people and it's not sufficient, not enough for us to make us one? I believe in the power of the cross to make us one. You can forgive your greatest enemy. Think about the person that's hurt you most in life. You can forgive that person. And maybe that person is you. Maybe that person is you. 
St. Augustine said that by believing in the articles of the creed, by believing in what Jesus has done for us, we may obey God. So if we believe, then we may obey God. If we don't believe that Jesus Christ has conquered sin and death, that he can set us free, what's the point of obeying him? Again, it's that question of trust. But if we do believe knowing that Jesus has done for us in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can obey God and live well. Obedience is not slavery. It's not be put in a straight jacket saying, I've got to go to Sunday Mass or I'll go to hell. That's not what obedience is. That is just so minimal and so off the mark in so many ways. It's quite the opposite. By obeying the Lord, we live the unending good life. And as we have the good, are living this good life, it has the compounding effect of purifying our hearts and making us more aligned to the truth, more gathered in the truth, gathered in the excellence of his love. That's the goal, to be gathered. So if we're not here on Sunday, we're scattered, and he misses us. You matter to him to be here. You matter to me. We matter to each other. And then the third and fourth descriptors of the sheep are the injured and the sick. I want you to listen up now to this. And if you employ this, this will revolutionize your life. There are hundreds of people here today. There's hundreds of people listening. If you do this, your life in Christ will be revolutionized. It's one simple thing. In the last 40 years of ministry, probably the most effective life-changing question I have asked, and this is after showing genuine interest in a person, proving to them that I love them and I'm not trying to change them or objectify them in any ways. The most powerful question, most deep, life-changing, profound question is this. What can I pray for you for? Friends, Go there. Live your baptism. Obey God. You're baptized into ministry. What can I pray for you for? And watch what happens. Oh, the pain. Oh, the scattering from God. People get hurt and they just walk away into oblivion and pain upon pain upon pain, darkness, going off on their own. They were like a sheep without a shepherd who wandered far off from his heart, from his care. I hope this is slicing your heart and cut to the core like it is mine now. I hope you can Start saying to people, what can I pray for you for? I hope you can be that humble. And that we can make it not about ourselves. Because it never was. It was about him coming to gather us. They've done a study on animals in the wild, and if there's a flood, they all seek the high, safe ground to be together in the midst of that flood. 
animals that would naturally kill each other and destroy each other stand side by side in peace. Tragedy brings us back to our common humanity and utter need for God to humbly receive his truth as his children in community, leading us in healing so that we can become one in the healer. You know what that sounds a lot like to me? That sounds a lot like our Advent Reconciliation Service next Saturday at 11 a.m. That we can come to that place where it's flooding all around to that high piece of ground and become friends again with God and each other. I can't think of for a better way of healing and becoming one than that. And as I invite you to next Saturday at 11 a.m., I would love to see what you're in here, what you're thinking right now. Oh, I don't do that, Father John. I've never done that. And Jesus is saying, what is he saying to you? What does he want for you? Could you tell me something possibly greater that could happen in Advent as you prepare for Christmas that he would take away your sin and shame, the burden in your heart, your hatred for others or yourself? Please do me a favor, pray humbly. Don't pray with pride and will. Pray humbly and say, Jesus, is this what you want me to do? Do you want me to be there on Saturday? Do you want me to believe that the Eucharist is truly you and it's not an option? Or will I be in my own church, belonging to my own church, choosing my truth and living my way? And we know how that goes. But we know how much Jesus wants us to give to us and through all the ways that he will gather us so we don't have to be scattered, but we can truly be his and be one in him. That's what he desires. You. He thirsts for you.